This is Rock and Roll Grad School with your hosts, Heidi Hedquist and Luke Poling. All their favorite songs are slow and sad. Hello, kitties. We're going to have a time together. We're going to have a good time together. A great time. Wipe that look off your face. Um... <laughs> I love when I say something, you just stare at me with this, just like, what, what's going on over there? Uh, <laughs> what's that? What are I you just, thinking? I just look like, oh, I always know what you're thinking. Yeah. But you have like, like that. Flash. Yeah, you, I was going to say, you have that look of a dog hearing its owner's voice come out of the answering machine. Just like, mm-hmm. what? How does that work? I'm so confused. We have, I want to say, good friend of the show, Joey yes. Finelli. I feel like because we had some technical issues and she was very responsive and happy to, to work with us. And mm-hmm. so she, she's a, a trooper. Mm-hmm. And kudos to her husband who helped save the day as well. Yes. Who we don't know his name, unfortunately. No. Mr. Finelli. Mm. Whoever you may be. Yes. Uh, but Jerry has played with, I want to say everybody, I didn't but a lot that. of people. Lots. Most notably, are yet to be friends in Red Cross. Mm-hmm. And so her time with the band does not oversect with the time that Anne Magnuson was filming. Uh, Annie's gone with them, I don't believe. No. I think Jerry came in on Phase Shifter. Mm-hmm. But she's got some great stories about Red Cross. She's got some great stories about Liberace. Great stories about being an incredibly talented pianist. Which is the most important thing. And I think, mm-hmm. shockingly, there's some things you can learn. And being a, po- a rock star in Japan. Yes, there are lessons one can take from Jerry's story. Jerry's super fun. It kind of makes you want to sign up for piano lessons, doesn't it? Yeah, I want her to be our teacher, though. Oh, my God, that'd be amazing. Can you imagine her trying to give us piano lessons and us trying to play, like, duets on the Oh, my God. Yeah, be, it, it, you and I would just be doing dueling banjos on piano. We totally would. For the whole thing. It'd be totally amazing. Would. So, if I know one thing about you, I know that it's you love new metal. Yes. And you metal. And you are very upset that when you type Live Biscuit into your phone, <laughs> the autocorrect. I've never. The autocorrect is like, <laughs> what the hell is Limp Biscuit? Get. I have. Never type Fear Limp Biscuit not. in my phone. So somebody at, a, a reporter at, I believe it's Buzz, um, BuzzFeed, mm. did a little research. Because mm-hmm. apparently if you type in Coldplay, Siri, or, or the machine does not underline that with a red line saying you spelled Coldplay wrong. Okay. But if you, then of course the big question then is what about if I want to talk about the band Corn? Oh. As you often do. I don't. You do. With the backwards <laughs> R. If I've heard you say, damn it, why is my R looking the wrong way? I've heard it a hundred times. Let alone the K. Exactly. So they have found a solution, a workaround. Is it ideal? No, but it's doable. Okay. If you install, and it's just a simple uh, setting on your keyboard, mm-hmm. where you can switch between the both the traditional standard English keyboard layout mm-hmm. to the Ukrainian layout, mm-hmm. one of the characters in their alphabet is a backwards R. Well, there you go. So you can K, switch over, backwards R, back to traditional standard, O-R-N. So. Fascinating. 
Yes. So that is. So, so we. That's just one less thing I'm going to have to hear you complain about. Going oh, forward. well, I'm so glad. I, I know. Just clears the board for so much more other stuff. Mm, indeed. No. No. <laughs> <laughs> I just love that somebody took all of this time to be like, "Here is what America is worried about right now." True. I wish that's what America was worried about. Right I now. seriously, it would be. I mean, it would be nice to live in that person's bubble. Mm, that is true. Mm-hmm. Bizkit. I mean, come on. This is amazing. <laughs> How does one become a teen rock star in Japan? Because I'm okay. looking into this. <laughs> so it happened. So I, 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 I grew up in San Francisco. And when I was... 18 on my 18th birthday I had a boyfriend that was like hey I I saw this all-girl band and they're playing in Fremont which is across the bay from San Francisco Mm -hmm. so I went to go see them and they were in all and they reminded me of Aerosmith the lead singer chick had that like look like Steven Tyler and had the the rags hanging off her microphone and they were they were doing all covers like um they they were playing uh cheap trick like hello everybody and, and yeah, so i i thought they were really great i mean that, that it was all covers but it was still they had great energy so after the show i walked up to them and i said i'm a keyboard player and i'm great and i should be in your band awesome. and they were like all right well we'll all give you an audition so then i went over and i played for them and i ended up joining the band and three months later we had a record deal to go to japan and we were playing in this nightclub called the mabuhe gardens do you know what that is I, I, ish, I, yeah. I okay, okay. Yeah. it was basically the CBGBs of San Francisco. Right. And it had opened in like maybe 76. I was 16 then, and I used to go there. And that's where the Dead Kennedy started. But okay. everybody played there like Blondie, Devo, the Ramones. And it was like a tiny club. It had been a Filipino um, supper club. And, and, and so, and then the guy just started having punk shows there. And so it became that, like, that was San Francisco's first punk club. And so we, but we weren't really a punk band. We were more like a, you know, like I said, we were doing Aerosmith covers and Cheap Trick covers. And so we got discovered there, just like, I mean, just like in the movies, like these Japanese (laughs) record executives happened to be walking down Broadway and Broadway was where all the strip clubs were in San Francisco. And there was the couple of, a couple of punk clubs and the rest of it was all topless clubs. And they were there, I'm sure, for the entertainment. Walked by the yes. club and came in and saw us. And within three months we were in Japan. And so that's that's how that happened. It was kind of a thing like when I was in high school, I was a classically trained piano player kid. And and when my best friend was a uh, ballet dancer. And when we were about ready to graduate, she was like, Well, what what are you gonna do when when we graduate? What are you gonna do? Because I wasn't planning on going to college. And I said, well, I'm going to be a rock star. Well, but, but of course, like, why would you even ask? Really? Yeah, right. stupid and she, because she was a ballad and she said, well, maybe, maybe you should learn how to play for dance classes too. So that's what I did. So I, uh, she helped me get my first job playing at San Francisco ballet. And then, but then three months later, we got this deal to go to Japan. And so that's, but it was just so funny how I was so sure, like, well, of course, of course I'm going to be a rock star. And I had no idea how lucky, what a lucky break that was. It's like within, Three months of me graduating high school, we were in Japan. 
And that was just, you know, and, the, and then of course that, and that, that ended, we were supposed to be there for three years. And what we did, we played on TV shows over there and we put out an album and it's. I love showing. This is it. Oh, wow. Right. And um, that was the guitar what? player. She was 15. The bass player was 19. That's the lead singer. She was 18. That's me. Amazing. Um, I was 18 and that's the drummer. Um, and yeah, and so it was just kind of, so we were signed by Toshiba, which is EMI over there. And we ended up playing on TV shows every night. And then almost a year down the line, we, we, we were having our boyfriend send us drugs the whole time. And my boyfriend was sending us, because there's no drug. Yeah. My boyfriend right. was sending us pot and, and LSD and magic mushrooms. And then the lead singer, she had a boyfriend that was sending her Coke and she would get on the phone and talk about Coke online and uh, over, over the phone and i was oh, like no. don't talk about cocaine no, sure no. our phones were being tapped so we were actually busted and sent out of the country no. <laughs> right exactly so that was the end of that. which is the perfect rock store star ending it's true yeah the story right because what happened is we had a guy who was like our translator he was a japanese american guy that baby he was kind of like our babysitter he would take us to the tv show because they had all these tv shows that were variety shows just like how in the 70s we had like Sonny and Cher and the andy mm -hmm. andy griffith andy williams show over there they were huge and so every night we were playing on these variety shows and we played with abba and all and i have a picture of us in abba which <laughs> Uh, Heidi, we need our picture with ABBA. Oh, oh my God. Ever. Let's see if I can find it. Even just Bjorn. I don't even know. I, I, and the yeah. other. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so that was, so that was the end. So then after a year, we were sent back home, like in disgrace and dropped from our label. And then, we, and then, and then at the age of 19, I found out how hard it was to get a record deal after that. It's like, I, I spent the next, you know, basically 10 years playing in bands, trying to get record deals and nothing ever happened. And, you know, so that was the end of that. Oh. But it was really fun. Oh my gosh, for sure. It was great, fun yeah. while it lasted. <laughs> so other than ABBA, what was the, because those variety shows, I grew up just loving those variety shows uh -huh. and still love them for all the wrong reasons. But what was the craziest variety show experience you had? The craziest what experience? Variety show experience. Well, all right. So you remember the village people song YMCA? Of course. Okay. Yes. So that song was popular when we were over there and they had all these. So they would have mainly Japanese rock stars. I mean, ABBA was an anomaly. It's mainly the Japanese rock stars that you've never heard of in America. And there was a guy that had a huge hit with, with YMCA. Right. And we used to just hate that kind of music. Cause it's like, if you were a rocker in the seventies, you hated disco and that was disco, right? I mean, it's campy now. And I mean, now I don't mind disco, but I had the, the whole disco sucks t-shirt the whole night. Yes. <laughs> so they made us dance in the background. And he had this thing where he'd be like, YMCA, chicka, chicka, chicka. And they made us do the, the dancing in the background. And we were all like humiliated. Oh, oh yeah. Like, ugh. Yeah. And then when we met ABBA, so ABBA played on another variety show we were on. And so when we were backstage, because we were literally... The oldest one of us was 18 and all, right. all you know, 15, yeah. 18. And the, the guys in ABBA were like, oh, hey. Oh, <laughs> I have no I doubt. Thinking, I didn't like ABBA then either. Now, <laughs> now it's all different, but like ABBA right. was like, 
you know, I, I I was like a heavy metal punk chick, and it's like you did not like ABBA in the seventies. Right, remember, you weren't like, allowed like, to love everything. Yeah, who cares about? It? I was like <laughs> so indifferent to like who cares? You know, so and and so the guys were all just like hitting on us, and I remember thinking, uh, like, who are these old men? You know, because you know <laughs> when you're eighteen, a guy who's thirty, because they were probably in their early thirties, right. and I remember thinking, old people, ancient, right? Yeah, and <laughs> girls. So the two girls were just giving us the total stink eye oh, and this is right. when they took our hands i remember that the girls had ice cold hands <gasps> oh well see that explains a Bits. lot yeah. <laughs> explains a whole lot and cold in fairness hands, cold if, heart exactly yeah yeah and in fairness whether you love the music or not those two guys in abba though i will profess uber talented they never had swagger no matter how old they were, they could have been in your age group and they wouldn't have been. Well, they were appealing. just, they reminded me of like, like up with people, you know? Yes. Like, yes. Like, oh, you're so right. Yes. You know? I mean, like I, I say now, it's like when I was in Red Cross, we actually were on some kind of an Abbott tribute album when we did Dance and Queen. Yes. And, I, and now it's like, I see everything completely different at right. my age now. But and back I, then. Yeah. But again, even if you loved the music back then, not like their sex appeal, not there. Minimal. Right, right, right. Minimal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All music aside. <laughs> but I prefer like the dirty rock and roll. Yes, of course. <laughs> well, so time. What... Oh. oh, go ahead. Luke. I was gonna say that's one of the things that's so interesting about your discography and, and your body of work is that it covers such a wide array of genres and types of music. Certainly, it leans towards a little bit harder, a little more of an edge. Um, yeah, but but yeah, but the funny thing is, is I was I'm a classically trained like like if I can play like, well, I mean, I'm a concert pianist, and I was trained from the time I was seven years old to be to my career was set that I would go to the San Francisco Conservatory and I would go to Juilliard and I would become a concert pianist. And I was a child prodigy. I was the organist in my church and I'm not religious whatsoever. And I went to Catholic school and I was just like, whatever, but I always liked the organ music. So I started playing the organ when I was 10 and I, and I was making $50 a week when I was 10 years old in 1970. And that's mm -hmm. how I saved up when I bought my first keyboard rig and my car. So I'm fully classically trained and I didn't even like rock music. And, and I, so when I was a child, I used to play like the Burt Bacharach kind of stuff for my dad and, and the classical, all the classical stuff. And my, my teacher was that he wasn't even a kid's piano teacher. He didn't normally take on kids, but he took me because he could tell that I had, I could play, I could figure out Henry Mancini songs when I was three years old wow. by ear, just sit at the piano. We didn't even have a piano. I'd go over to people's houses and I could just play. And that's how one of my friend's fathers saw that I had talent and told my dad, you know, your daughter has some kind of a really weird talent. You should get her into lessons. So that's how I started. So I didn't even like rock music. And I used to say, rock music is for those who don't appreciate real music like Beethoven. This is when I'm like eight years old. Right. right. I was a little eight-year-old. <laughs> And so when Good Ride on the Road came out, and that was in, the, that was in, the, I got it for Christmas when I was 13 in 1973. And, and I had just started listening to pop radio. Like, and, and back then it was, you know, the Eagles and uh, whatever was popular in like 1970. Right, I was going to say Donnie and Marie and that kind of like very 
very pop pop yeah yeah but so but you know pop radio used to play everything it would have led zeppelin and then it would have the temptations and you know so i started listening when i was in seventh grade and i started kind of getting into it a little bit and then when i got good goodbye yellow brick road and i heard funeral for a friend and i was like i want to be a rock star I mean, my life completely. And before then, I was really into Liberace. You know, when I was a little kid, my parents took me to go see. My parents were always really supportive. Wow. So I Liberace had been my hero. But then from Liberace, it's that's the slippery slope. It's the gateway drug to Elton John. Of course. And so from Elton John, right, it was so. David Bowie. And, and yes. from then it was like, oh, but I still, I still continued the classical lessons because my teacher was still like, well, you know, you could be, you could be a concert piano star and but in my mind but he knew i was like hey no i want to be a rock star but i still continued and i studied with him until i was 18 and so that's how that's how i got into rock was just like elton john was my gateway drug that's such <laughs> the it's the you know tale as old as time you're taking down your liberace poster you're putting up your loud insane poster <laughs> right, right, right. everyone everyone does that yeah i, I, I have still have like every liberace album every i've read every book i have liberace dolls oh wow here he is wow. here he is There's is that madame alexander liberace piano oh my god oh my gosh candelabra candelabra <laughs> madame alexander liberace yes oh my gosh i well, i'm a doll collector i i i have hundreds and hundreds of dolls like every barbie doll madame alexander i have the uh gem rock yes. star dolls i have them truly really outrageous i, I had a <laughs> in my last house that was just dolls that's amazing. That's that so was, touring the um, world must have been a very dangerous proposition for you. Oh, I loved it. It was. Well, I mean, fiscally at least, it's like oh, wait, we can go for get the dolls. What, yeah. Oh well, In your collection. <laughs> they just stayed at home. <laughs> I still had a house. But, did but you I'm just add, saying, like, yeah, add I was do you add when you're like, do you pick oh, did up? I add, did I get dolls on, on tour? Yeah. No, most of the dolls people have given to me. Right. I had a friend that worked for the company that put out Spice Girl dolls. So I, I had, have posh. I had seven sets, <gasps> sets of Spice Girl dolls. Amazing. And I still have a lot of them. Some of them I gave away to my nieces. Uh, <laughs> it's, so, my, it's so funny because my grandma, who was an amazing woman, loved dolls and collected dolls. And got. I had a Madame Alexander collection growing oh, up. Oh, yeah, yeah. I had the whole. Amazing. And I still have several of them but she had dolls from all over the world she was a minister's wife and they would travel and do tours so she would pick up a, like a little eskimo doll and like they were all over oh, yeah yeah but she also was the biggest liberace fan oh, ever so when you brought liberace the madame alexander liberace it was like my grandmother was right here with us and she also would have been a rock star given half the chance so <laughs> when i was seven i think i might have been 17 or 18 i tried out for the liberace uh it was a liberace contest to be discovered by liberace and 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 i went there and i had pink hair and i sat down and it was all old liberace of course wasn't it, it was all old ladies like auditioning me and yes. i sat down and i said i'm gonna play a song that's never been played before and i just went into this crazy improv and they looked at me like i was from outer space <laughs> you know because i had like pink hair like yes. with, you know coming out of here and i was wearing like some crazy outfit and they just kind of and i thought to myself but Liberace would have loved me. Yes. But these old, I couldn't get past the old ladies. They were just kind of like, oh, what was that? That just happened. No, <laughs> that is very disappointing. <laughs> he would have loved you. I know. <laughs> Completely. Oh, and another, oh, and I wish I had this. I, I, I live in a, I used to live in a condo, which was a really big condo. And I had all my stuff there. And then I got married 
five years ago, me and my husband moved into a, a house that's pretty small. So I had to put a lot of my stuff in storage, but I had, because I would show you otherwise. Years ago, this is in the, Liberace was still alive. It was in the early 80s. And they had a thing where his, he was a Baldwin piano mm -hmm. artist, right? Mm -hmm. So they had a thing where they took his grand piano that was studded in crystals, a Swarovski, I don't know how to say it, crystals, like a million crystals on this piano and it went on tour to all the Baldwin stores in America. And, and, and I had read in the paper, they said, anybody can come in and play the piano for 10 minutes, right? So I thought, great. So me and my boyfriend, I wrote, I had a motorcycle. I used to ride a chopper and I had it this at that point, probably pink and purple hair. So me and my boyfriend roar up to the Baldwin <laughs> store on our motorcycles and I'm all, I'm, I'm wearing all leather and I walk in there and I'm, I'm here to play the piano. And they're like, oh, I'm sorry. <gasps> only classical players can play. And I said, well, I am a classical player. And they said, only proficient players can play. And they're, and then they finally let me. So I play like. <gasps> I went full on Rachmaninoff on there. And they were amazing. <laughs> and that totally calls for Rachmaninoff. Oh yeah, I had, I had to be, right? right? And so it just happened that one of my friends who was a photographer, and he had, he had done a lot of photo shoots with me before. He happened to be walking by the store and saw me in the window playing the piano and he came in and took a picture of me. And, and I'm standing next to this life-size cutout of Liberace wearing like a blue glitter suit and I'm playing the piano. <laughs> amazing. So I wish I had that photo because it's That's so amazing. Good. That's yeah. fantastic. <laughs> and, and to hear you tell all these stories, it seems like this perfect synergy with you and the McDonald brothers, which Brothers. is how I became familiar with your work. Yeah, no, I, I, I used to like Red Cross way before I was in the band. They, I used to live in, when I lived in San Francisco, I lived in a, um, kind of a shitty area at the time. It's now everything's gentrified and it's nice, but back then it was right. sort of like Hookerville, right? And, and then oh, I lived next door to a, uh, like a no-tail motel where they were ended by the hour. Right. And, one day, and this was, you know, during the, this was probably 1982, where everybody, all the punks had short hair, you know. And I, one day I was, I was outside and I saw this, this um, station wagon pull up and all these kids get out and they had long hair down to their waist. And I thought, but they look like they're in a band, but you just didn't see long hair, at least not in San Francisco in the early 80s. Nobody had long hair anymore. And I remember looking, look at these guys. So it just happened that that night. I didn't know who they were. That night I was going to go see Black Flag at the on Broadway, which was a club that opened up that was on top of the Mabuhe Gardens. It was it was the second floor. And I was there to see Black Flag and the Circle Jerks. And who was the opening band but Red Cross? And I was like, oh, that's those kids that I saw earlier today. Right. And and that's to see I'm I'm three years older than Jeff and seven years older than Steve. So I might have been 22 at the time. So Jeff would have been 19 and Steve would have been 15 and i remember thinking oh look at those kids those adorable teenagers right? <laughs> right you know what i mean it's like at that point that's a big age gap you know right. yeah. and i could You're tell and janet and and they had janet housed in and tracy lee was in the band so it was two two guys and two girls i remember thinking oh that's really cool and so that's how i first saw them and that was yeah like i said like nine ten years before i joined the band or i joined in 91 and so then and then i saw them a bunch of times after that and they they had come to san francisco to film um, Spirit of 76. Yes. Mm -hmm. And a lot of my friends were in that movie and uh, were extras in that movie. And it's like my friends were basically the same crowd of people that liked Red Cross. 
And that was right around the time when Third Eye came out. And my roommate at the time was a big music fan. And she said, you know, that band Red Cross has a, has a keyboard player on their new record. You know, you should, you should see if you can get in that band. And they were doing a record release party that night. And so I said, all right, I'll go with you, uh, you know. And, and at the time I was sort of burned out with San Francisco. And, I, you know, I had lived there and been in so many bands at that point. And I just, and, and uh, uh, let's talk about drugs again, or we haven't talked about drugs. So meth was huge in San Francisco at that point. Like mm. everybody that I know was doing tons and tons of meth. And I was doing tons and tons of meth. And I was just sort of burned out on just like drugs and, and my life there. And, and I had a boyfriend that I'd been going out with, with a long time and he, was an actor and he had just moved to LA. And so I thought, you know what? I want to get out of this town. I want to get away from the drugs. And David's living in LA now. I could go down there. So I, I, so I walk up to Jeff and he knew who I was because I, in San Francisco, I had been doing like, I had all these like Elton John tribute bands and I had a David Bowie tribute band and I had all these other bands. So he had actually heard of me and knew who I was. So I walked up to him and I said, I want to be in your band. And and, they're, they're, and he was like, well, okay, we're, we're they were about to go on tour with the Go Go's because this is 1990. And mm-hmm. he said, when we get done with our tour with the Go Go's, I'll give you a call. And so I uh, what I did is I booked a show at the Coconut Teaser, which was like a little nightclub down in Los Angeles with a friend of mine who was a cabaret, like a punk rock cabaret singer. So I booked a gig for us there and invited Jeff and Steve and Charlotte to come to come see me and that's when they saw me and so I was in the band from then on perfect and, and then and then that's how it that's how that went down <laughs> that's so like I just love like the whole trajectory of like what all the different stages and things you've done and and how the like how they all come to be and just having yeah. like like well, well I'm just I gonna would... invite them to the show and this is gonna happen yeah, because I was I was always really confident of my of my talent. Yes. You know, I was like, I should be in your band because I'm great. <laughs> right. But that's awesome because so many like prodigies, so many uber, uber talented people, especially with that kind of gift at such a young age, don't have the confidence to go with it. Oh, I always did. And, and when I was a kid, like a, a elementary school kid, I was just, just, I was exactly the same as I am now. And I was always kind of rebellious and out there. And I would wear like, I went to Catholic school, right? So I would wear big, huge, gaudy rings on every finger because I was like Liberace. And, and, and I was the church organist. So when I was when I was um, 13, The Exorcist came out and I would sit there at, 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 at church and play. <laughs> it's a Catholic and movie. I would be like, oh. <laughs> having no idea what That's I amazing. was, you know, playing. And, and all the kids knew and they, they were like, you know, that so I always had that kind of thing going on, right? I love it. <laughs> I mean, that totally tracks. It's a Catholic film. There's priests. It's all about Catholicism. <laughs> Not only that, so, you know, I, I in eighth grade, you get confirmed. It's like like that, like yeah. the equivalent to a bat mitzvah for a Catholic is you're confirmed, right? And so my parents who were like good Catholic people, but really, really pretty progressive for their time and, and were really, really uh, supportive of anything I wanted to do. Like I got interested in witchcraft when I was 10 years old. My parents actually took me to Anton LaVey's witchcraft <laughs> store. He was the church of Satan. Which was, yes. and, and let me buy stuff in the store. And I'm 10 years old. I used to bring witchcraft books to school. And like, wow. why? Why do the nuns hate me? Whoa, 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 you know. So, um, so when I was 13, right, I get confirmed and my mom and dad are like, well, what do you want to do for your confirmation? Anything you want to do? I said, I want to go see the exorcist. 
So I made my parents take because it was rated R, and, right. and my parents actually took me to go see that movie. And they, and like my, like my parents were good like Irish Catholics, right? And so later on, when I watched that movie as an adult, and she's like, you know, with the crucifix, and I oh, thought, yeah. Yeah. my poor parents. I can't believe that my poor. <laughs> I <put> this. <laughs> That they clearly knew what they were getting themselves. Oh into. no, my parents were like, my mother was like Jackie Kennedy, you know. And my, <laughs> you know, they were like, you know, very, very upscale, well dressed, and they would come and see me at the Mabuhe. It's <laughs> awesome. I love that. And they were though. the best. They came Thanks. and saw. They came and saw me play at Slim's, which is a nightclub in San Francisco with Red Cross. And I still have the picture and I'm wearing, you know, my mom and dad, my mom and her little pearls. And my- I love it. That's the best. <laughs> oh, they were great. I mean, my parents have been gone for years now, but like I, I and I'm, I'm adopted too. So I always think like, well, my, my, my birth parents, I don't know anything about my birth parents because back then they didn't tell you anything, but I always thought like, well, I bet you that somewhere in my birth family, there's musical talent because my, my yeah. family, we didn't even have a piano, but they were always like, well, our daughter's artistic, so it's okay that she, you know, I would go to school when I was 14 dressed like David Bowie with the makeup, and it wouldn't even be Halloween. It would just be a regular day. Tuesday, oh, yeah. Right. <laughs> artistic, so it's okay. <laughs> you can get a free pass for being artistic. Yes, exactly. <laughs> for everything. Yeah, exactly. That's my get out of freak jail free Yes, pass. I love it. <laughs> And it's interesting too the fact that you you now do a lot of teaching. And, That's mainly what I do now, yeah. But like being able to master an instrument or anything incredibly well, and then impart some of that knowledge to somebody else—that's a completely different skill set. Oh, I know. A lot and of really good players aren't good teachers because yeah, exactly. what happened is like I had I taught when I was really young. I had some students when I was nineteen and twenty, and I I just didn't have the confidence. And it seemed like talking to people's the the kids' parents. I mean, they were like talking to my parents, and I I just wasn't comfortable with doing it. And I and then for you know all the years that I you know in and out of being in bands, I always had a church gig. Right. I always played church organ somewhere. I always had ballet playing gigs. Right. I played at all the ballet studios in San Francisco. And then when I moved to L.A., I got a big job playing at this school called Harvard Westlake, which is it's a prep school. And it's where, you know, Tori Spelling went there. It's one of those kind of fancy <laughs> kids. School. So I always had, you know, gigs playing at schools, dance, you know, ballet class like <laughs> that kind of thing. And, and so I wasn't teaching. And then I had a friend of mine that lived across the street from me. And this is about 15 years ago. And she was an art teacher. And she, her clientele were all like movie stars kids, right? And, and she would do like this art camp every summer where the little kids would come and they'd be in their backyard and they'd play and they'd do art things. And, and, she, and, and I used to bring my keyboard over and I would play songs for these little kids and I would tell them stories and play. And she goes, you know, Jerry, you, you would be a really good piano teacher. And I said, well, I'm not, I'm not a teacher. I mean, I... I don't really know how to teach. And she said, well, if you ever want students, um, give me a call or let me know. And I'll, and she had this website that was like, kind of like a mommy and me website with all these moms would, you know, she, she had access to a lot of parents. So she said, if you ever want to start teaching, let me know. And I'll mention you on my website. So one day I went, all right. And within a day I had like 30 people call me for lessons. So what I did is I went out and I bought books on how to teach. And I thought of how I was taught and at the same time, I started to and um, I started taking. This is embarrassing, but pole dancing was a big thing back. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> and, no. I was, and I'm a terror, even though I played for dance classes since, since I was 17, I'm not a dancer at all. And I, and it put me in the mind of what it was like to be a beginner. Like the teacher would be, all right, everybody turn right. And I'd be like, which is right. Like, right. right. And, it, and it really helped me be, be a better teacher by feeling what it's like to be completely lame and not knowing. Right. And so then that's how, and then I just got better at doing it over the years. And now I have 57 students a week Gosh, and I, I teach seven oh. days a week and I, I get calls all the time and it's mainly like Hollywood clientele. I have a most, a lot most of my kids are, uh, their parents are in showbiz or their grandparents are in showbiz. Mm. So, so that's what I mainly do now. And I have, I still play at a church. I got a church gig tonight, but now I don't have a regular gig. I just sub because, because uh, I, I play a nighttime gig because I, I just sort of got burned out on getting up at six in the morning on Sundays. Yeah, that'll do it. <laughs> just throw on your Patty Hearst t-shirt. Yeah, and yeah I play downtown. I play at a, like a, a, a businessmen's luncheon club every week. So I do that. And, you know, but mainly I teach and I love it. And I've done some music. I, I wrote some music that's, that's you know, that Bob's Burgers. Uh-huh, of course. You yeah. know? Well, there's, there's a movie coming out this week. It's a Bob's Burgers movie. And I used to teach the creator, his name's Lauren Pichard. I used to teach his son's piano lesson. So a few years ago, he was like, hey, um, do you want, do you mind doing this little thing and playing some, uh, you know, I played something like this. like So I played this little thing like that. I forgot all about it. And a couple months ago, I get a call from them and they're like, oh, we're going to pay you for that thing you did. It's in the movie coming up. And then and I'm going to get royalties from that as well. So I thought, yeah. So I do a little bit of that. I do some music for um, Steve McDonald was married to Anna Warnaker. You know mm-hmm. who she is? She's, mm-hmm. um, that anyway, dog? she's, yeah, she from that dog, but she's also, she does, um, she writes music for a bunch of TV shows. So she hires me now and then to come in and play things on she she writes for this show called call me cat which is mayan bialik do you know who she is yeah yep. blossom and she was on yes. big gang theory she has her own show where she owns a cat cafe I've and they hang out show. in a piano bar a lot and they they play piano man and they but that's actually me playing piano man like and, and it's supposed to be her playing so i do stuff like that you know and i you know my my, my days of being in bands I, and now and then when red cross is played in la i'll, I'll make a guest appearance but you know, my, my days of being in bands are like pretty much long gone at this point. <laughs> so I'm back to doing the classical thing. That's so great though. Re- I, I, or, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, no, no. I just no. think of my own like piano lessons growing up and, you know, never wanting to play what I had to learn to play and to practice. And it's just so great that if your students give you pushback, you can be like, look, I did play all this stuff. This stuff I is did, amazing. Yeah. And I was, and I am a rock star. So you need to listen to me and you need to practice and you need to do your damn scales. Yeah, well, I I, I mean, kids don't practice these days. It's like, I mean, it's always been like that, but now they've got video games and and the the kind of kids that I teach are scheduled to an nth of their life. It's like this one little girl I teach her, her grandfather's a world famous actor and, and this, and, and the kids are scheduled. Like she gets out of school then she goes to acting lessons and she goes to cello lessons and then she has lessons with me and it's like that's what their life is like these kids it's like they don't have time they have time to take the lessons but like but then you got it's not like taking ballet where you go to ballet and you take your lesson you come home it's like tiana you take your lesson but you gotta practice every day and and you know i out of the 57 kids i have i have maybe 20 that that practice regularly about three or four that really have real talent 
you know, but that's okay. I, I, and it's fine, but, but, you know, but then what I do with them is I teach them how to read in classical, but I also teach them, I give them rock and roll songs to play. I teach them how to play boogie woogie, even like little kids. I've got, that's awesome. <laughs> I taught a five-year-old how to play the chords of let it be. And he sang in one of my shots. He was like, I find my Right. And he wore like a little short pants, like uh, like a little sailor suit with a bow tie. It's like, how can you follow that? Really? Right. No, like that's, that. That's your, <laughs> that that's your yeah. For yeah. Sure. So I'm like the cool piano teacher. Yes. But yet really. I still, you know, I, I still t- teach him how to read. And but I my teacher only taught me classical, you know, and I figured out how to how to improvise and how to play by ear because I would sit there when my when I was little. My dad would play records on Sunday and he would play like. Henry Mancini and and I would sit there and I would play along with the record to develop my ear and I would also just sit there for hours when I was good I, would, I used to play for like hours every day when I was a child and I would just sit there and figure stuff out like just figure out music and make up stuff and and but that's how I taught myself how to improvise and it was just the fact that, that I had lessons so I was reading music and listening and just you know so I got I got a full because a lot of classical uh, musicians they cannot they can't, they can only play what's written. Right. If you right. take, you know, that there's that joke. How do you get a classical player to stop playing? Take away their music. Yeah. How do you get a rock musician to stop playing? You put music in front of them. Right. Right. So true. So they, no one can stop you then is what well, it means. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. Most of the bands that I was ever in, most, most of the people didn't read music in rock bands, mm-hmm. except piano players. Most, most keyboard players in rock bands do at least read a bit of music because we all took piano lessons. Right. And in piano lessons, they teach you how to read. Whereas, you know, a lot of the guitar players that I knew, it's like someone showed them a couple of riffs and they practiced and practiced, but it's not like they're reading music. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's the fact that I'm heavily musically trained that I was able to, you know, carve out a career after after being in bands. That's amazing. And yeah. it's just, do the kids have any idea what you have done in the past? Some of the parents know who I am. Mm. Yeah, and, and But, you know, the kids, it's like, you know, I mean, I was I was famous from the 70s to the 90s, you know, and now that's almost 30 years ago. So, Don't say that. you know, the kids, yeah. It's, yeah. you know, that's they know, they all know I was in bands and, and a lot of the parents knew who Red Cross was, you know, but I don't, you know, to, to kids, it's like, that's like a million years ago. That would be like, I was famous in the 1930s. I right. <laughs> was a kid. <laughs> Your vaudeville act. Right. Yes, exactly. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. That's amazing. This is I I'm I'm in love. This is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> so awesome. So yes. Yeah, um, I had a really good time. Though being in I mean, that was the last band. I played with Romeo Void for a while. Do you know who mm-hmm. they are? Yeah. And I played with do you know who Specimen is? They were that goth band from England and they had that song Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. And they were oh, like, yeah, yeah. They looked like yeah, I played with those guys and for, I was in Romeo Void in, in the eighty three to eighty five, and then I played in Specimen from 85 to 87 and then i was in a bunch of kind of avant san francisco has a lot of avant-garde bands that that aren't trying to get record deals because they're so they're just completely doing it just to do it so yeah. i was in a, you know a band with the girls that played marimbas and the guy that played the harp and you know all these sort of like underground like basically avant-garde kind of bands and then i started doing like um cabaret i had a bunch of friends that were punk rockers but knew about like frank sinatra and all this stuff so i started playing at this club called the paradise lounge and this was in the mid to 80s up until i moved to la in 91 and we we would get dressed up in like cocktail gowns and play like you know like 
<laughs> all that kind of stuff, right? And so that's what I was doing the last few years in San Francisco. I was doing like cocktail punk lounge. And then, and then when I joined Red Cross and I played with those guys for six years. And then when that all ended, I, I kind of thought, I thought, you know what? I gave it, I gave it my best. I gave the rock and roll world 20 years of my life. And I think this is where it's going to end. And then I just went back to doing what I'd always do, like playing at dance classes. And I, I worked for a singing teacher for 17 years. I was her accompanist for musical theater stuff, you know, so I played like all that, like Wicked and Oh, yeah. <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I pretty much could do the whole, the whole, and I played piano for a lot of musical auditions for theater where people would come in off the street and go, all right, here's the song I'm playing. And I sight read it, right? Because I'm good at doing that. So, yeah, the fact that I can do all that stuff is basically what's made me employable, you know, and able yeah. to have a career. Because a lot of my friends from the bands that I was in my whole life, Basically, very few of them are still working as musicians. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a, I'd say, you know, 80% of them are just, you know, if they play music at all, it's like a weekend thing. It's like they've got their day job. And because most of my friends, you know, all the, it was, you know, 80% guys that I played with because that's just how it is in rock and punk music. I mean, I, I always had girl band members, but there's m way more guys that play music, right? right? And so most all those guys, you know, they got married, they had a family and it's like, hey, you know, you got to get a job now. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. Come. The, reality, the bummer reality of life is that you got right. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, I, I feel lucky. You know, every day of my life, I think, you know, I read about people that hate their jobs and it's just a grind and they can't wait to retire. And I'm like, I never want to retire. You know, it's like I, I, I knew I knew piano players that that were 92 years old. There's two, a guy that I knew that played with the voice teacher that I played with and a lady that played for dance classes and they were still working in their nineties. And I was thinking, you know what, if I, if I live that long, you know, and I got on my marbles, that's what, that, that will be me. <laughs> Something to aspire to. Yeah, yes. totally. You know, cause music keeps you young. For more information or schedule a piano lesson, check out Jerry's website, jerryfinelli.com. She's also on Instagram, where she's at jerryfinelli, and on Facebook, where she's at jerryfinelli88. You can check us out on all the various socials. Be sure to visit our website at rockandrollgradschool.com. And don't forget to leave us a review. Today's show is produced by myself and Heidi Hegquist. Our reluctant producers are John Sauvé and Sandy Stone. Our willing producers are Rachel Allen and Randy Jeanette. Our intern is Zach Jackson. This one's for Philippe. Thank you. Good night. And may all your favorite bands stay together. Stay together.